What's up, everyone? This is Kevin from Skywatcher at the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Um, you're probably wondering why you can't see me. I'm not sure what's going on with my camera this morning, but it is revolting against me. Um, so we're just going to do this by voice. Um, apologize for that. Um, but anyway, thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Um, I will figure out what's going on with my camera. It was working earlier, but we'll figure that out next week. But anyway, we're going to be talking about cameras today anyway. And um, so we'll just do this full screen and you can hear my voice and we'll hang out. Anyway, welcome to the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. My name is Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher here in the U.S. Um, we check everything from what's up into the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks on imaging. And uh, yeah, and at the end of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. Um, so this is our equipment uh, today. Um uh, equipment talk today and i think this will be a really helpful conversation uh for people and if you have i'm hoping you guys have questions uh today because i think we'll be i'm hoping the q a session will be a little bit longer today on matching other people's equipment um but anyway uh real quick just before i get too far i always skip this part um if you like what you see here please subscribe leave a like to a video it lets us new uh, lets us know we're doing a good job and it lets us know to keep doing it. Um, if you have an idea for a What's Up webcast episode, go ahead and email us at info at skywatcherusa.com. Title it What's Up and let us know what you'd like to see on the What's Up webcast. Um, we're always looking for new ideas, especially uh, being a new year. So we're always looking to add um, new episodes. Um, if you don't see your episode or idea pop up immediately in the next um, you know few weeks it does take time for us to schedule and get things on on the list of things to do so you know just because you don't see it immediately doesn't mean we're not considering it uh, at some later date um, so just hang out and we'll uh, we'll get to it and yes I I definitely understand the irony of today having a camera talk while my camera's not working boom boom, boom so anyway deal with it um if you want to keep up with what's going out at skywatcher go to skywatcherusa.com up at the top see the green bar it says subscribe and save click that little doodad up there the button there and uh, fill in your email it keeps you up to date with what's going on we have a lot of cool stuff coming out over the next couple months too so uh fyi if you want to be the first one to know um just saying um but anyway, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, but if you want to subscribe and be a part of what's going on at Skywatcher and up to date, uh, go ahead and hit the subscribe and save. Pop your email in there and you'll get our monthly and weekly emails on what's going on. So uh, anyway, we're going to go ahead and jump into this um, matching your camera. Now, a lot of us are into astrophotography. It's one of the fastest growing portions of the hobby. It is the fastest growing portion of the hobby. Um, obviously there's a lot of equipment manufacturers out there, us included that are focusing on this side, um, of the, of the hobby. That's a, a very big, um, interest right now. Um, uh, so that's what we're going to be digging into now. You know, uh, there's, there's a lot of combinations of stuff out there and that you can buy, there's so many pieces of equipment, so many cameras, so many telescopes, so many filters, so many blah, blah, blah. It's so overwhelming on what you can get into nowadays. Um, and we kind of need to sit down and take a reality check on, you know, what is it that we really should be looking at? So I think all of us dream of a big scope and an observatory and being able to walk out under an immensely dark sky and or even have one in our backyard it's like oh if i won the lottery i'll get that 24 inch plane wave or blah 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 blah. um you know it's fun to dream about doing that and we all want to get those high resolution images and share them you know blow up big prints and sell prints online or whatever you want to do um but the reality is do you actually need a big telescope um and on top of that can your location even utilize a telescope is a whole nother conversation and what is the ideal setup 
for our local conditions. Uh, I see a lot of people doing this uh, nowadays. Uh, we've had some questions come in before where it's like, oh, I'm interested in getting this telescope, but I've got this camera and it just doesn't make sense. Uh, and that's a big deal because you're not going to get the sharpest images that you're looking for if you're, you're taking certain cameras or plugging them on the back of certain telescopes and your conditions aren't going to support it. So there's this trifecta of seeing conditions, telescope, and camera that we need to balance. And we need to be able to figure out what exactly is going to give us the best combo to give us the best images that we can share with our friends and family. And maybe you can do prints or whatever you want to do with them. But you want to make sure that you're paying attention to that. You can't just go out. You can you can go out and buy a 60 megapixel camera and smack that on the back of a 30 inch, you know, whatever scope and you can take images from it, but it might not look as good as say a smaller telescope with that camera being maybe matched better to it. So that's something that I see come up a lot. Um, and that's what today's talk is going to be about is basically matching your camera, your seeing conditions and your telescope to ensure that you are getting the ultimate um, performance out of your system. And you can do this with every single system out there. No matter what level of astrophotography you're into, from beginner to advanced, you can always match your system. And this is important, especially if maybe you're maybe you've been into the hobby, but now you're looking to spend a little bit more money or you're, you've decided, yes, I like doing this. I'm ready to buy like a dedicated system. You know, maybe you're stepping away from a mirrorless or a DSLR camera and you're going to a dedicated camera. And, you know, there's a lot of options out there, but which one's going to make sense for you is important. And these are all the questions that, you know, we want to answer for ourselves. But we need to kind of break this down before you know we just shell out thousands of dollars because you can do that really easily and i've seen people do it and then they send me their images and it's like ah that's that's a lot of money and that image isn't as good as it probably could have been um ultimately it's what you're happy with but i'm hoping with this um talk it'll kind of help you know navigate to where your investment will bring you the best performance back to what you're looking for. So the first thing we need to understand is local seeing conditions. We have a whole episode on local or understanding seeing conditions. That's very important because a lot of people, um, when we talk about seeing conditions, the first thing they're going to say is, oh yeah, I'm in a portal, blah, blah, blah. It has nothing to do with darkness at all. We're talking about the stability of the sky the conditions are going to dictate what you can use ultimately, um, whether it's your backyard or your local observing site, whatever. It always is the main variable that we need to address. Um, pairing your telescope and your system to your local site is going to make sure that your images are always going to be razor sharp um, and of the highest quality possible. Um, from your location. So that's that's important. Now, most of you probably know this, but seeing is generally measured in arc seconds. If you don't know what an arc second is, that uh, one arc second is basically one thirty-six hundredth of a degree. Very small measurement. Um, but that's basically what we're going to be talking about today is arc seconds. That's the measurement that we'll be basically talking about. Uh, but I think it's important because most of us, it's probably like, well, I don't know what my seeing conditions are. Um, so there's, there's an average, and we're going to kind of break that down, but it's kind of good to know roughly what your local scene conditions are. Um, and if you've already done astrophotography, you probably are already know a little bit about this with like full width, half max. Um, this is obviously something that you're going to want to want to pay attention to. Um, it's basically measuring your seeing or how small things can be resolved um, at that point. So um, really good world-class like observatory sites, you'll hear sub-arc second seeing. That means you're basically able to resolve below an arc second, which is phenomenal. Um, 
you see these observatories all over the world, whether they're in, you know, Arizona, Texas, California, Hawaii, um, Chile, you know, they're always in these remote sites. And one of the reasons is it's probably because it's dark and it's away from light pollution. That's obvious. That's a big check mark. But a real big check mark is the seeing conditions and how stable um, the the night sky there is. So in order to utilize these multimeter telescopes, you need to be able to have seeing to support it. And that's kind of the advantages of like a space telescope like Hubble and the James Webb uh, that just went up. The reason that a space telescope is awesome is because it's not dictated anymore by seeing conditions. There's no atmosphere. It operates in a vacuum. So there's no major distortion happening from the atmosphere. Um, And the atmosphere is also blocking other wavelengths like infrared is blocked quite a bit. So that's why, you know, James Webb Space Telescope being an infrared telescope out in orbit makes more sense because it can actually do that. Um, But space telescopes are not limited really to seeing conditions unlike telescopes here on earth and there's a bunch of fancy things that obviously we spend tons of money to um, do to counteract that whether it's you know optics that can be warped you know adaptive optics that's a way to get around some of that but that's not something we really have in the amateur world Uh, we do have active optics which can help with some sense of it but it's not the same process so World-class seeing would be sub-arc second seeing. That's generally where all these big observatories are at. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars scouting these uh, locations, these distant mountaintops, to actually find which location is going to be absolutely ideal for placing these multi-million dollar telescopes in order to achieve the kind of observations they want to achieve. So generally a world-class site, I would say, is under an arc second um or 0. 0.5 0. 0.5 half an arc second to 0. 0.5 i'm sorry half an arc second to one arc second um or anything below one arc second that's a world-class site um very few locations are going to be able to produce that on multiple nights throughout the year uh the jet stream has a lot to do with it and the stability of the the sky there's a lot of things that go into affecting that now below that um i would say is our great seeing you know 1 arc second to 1.5 arc seconds that can generally be obtained by you know if you've got like a dark sky site that you go to um some locations on a really good night you'll probably be able to produce stuff that's you know in that one to 1.5 arc seconds uh, per pixel Um, you might be able to do this on your backyard on particular nights i know where our remote telescope is situated in central california um, that generally on most nights can produce between one and 1.5 arc seconds uh, as the seeing out there is supported of that there are nights we have sub arc second out there but most of the nights are somewhere between 1 and 1.5 um so you know that's something to to definitely take a look at there uh next up would be good seeing this would probably be something that you'd get from like a backyard maybe on good nights would be somewhere between 1.5 and 2 arc seconds um you know it just depends on where you're at in the country or in the world um because we are talking global at this point just depends on where you're at but on average, you could probably find stuff that's, you know, 1.5 to 2 arc seconds for seeing conditions. That's pretty good. And then probably average backyard is somewhere between 2 and 3 arc seconds. That's probably average. And then, of course, it can get worse uh, from there. But seeing conditions will vary throughout the night. And they're going to be affected by all kinds of things, whether it's wind or dust in the air or high clouds or... A multitude of things that you know it's nature they're going to do whatever it's going to do um, that's really going to be fundamentally be where your variables are going to occur so that's kind of what we're looking at it's just a basic breakdown obviously this isn't anything that's like written in stone this is going to be it's just kind of an average scale for us to go off of for the you know purpose of today's presentation so you know, 
do with it what you will. Um, but on average, that's probably what you're you're looking at. So most of us that are observing from home are probably able to have 1.5 to 3 arc seconds um, of, of, that's our seeing conditions, roughly. Um, if you've got better than that, between 1 and 1.5, awesome. Good for you. So now, now that we ha kind of understand how seeing works and what we're looking at, we need to talk about pixels and the actual equipment. Um, and this is where I see a lot of strange combinations get made. So bigger scopes do not mean better images. Um, I know a lot of us have probably dreamed, it's like, oh, I'd love to have a 12-inch Richie Cretion, or I'd love to have a 14-inch, you know, um, plane wave or something like that. They're amazing telescopes. But as you get larger instruments involved, you need to pay more and more attention to seeing conditions and really matching your setup. You know, you can go buy a, the biggest telescope on Earth, and if it's not really matched all that well, it's going to just be a mess when you're trying to take images. And it might look soft. It might look pixely. Um, it's just we need to pay attention to what we're doing in order to get the best results. So camera pixels need to match to the scope's focal length. And that also needs to take into account your local seeing conditions. And a big thing that's occurring nowadays is cameras are getting smaller and smaller pixels. You know, like the IMX455 that's out right now. That's basically the ZWO6200 and QHY600 or whatever the equivalent will be. Those are 3.76 micron pixels. They're tiny. Uh, the Sony 183 sensor, which is in the ZWO183 and the QHI183, and there's probably there's other equivalents out there. Those are 2.4 micron pixels. Tiny, tiny pixels. Um, and for imaging the planets and the moon and the sun, that's a completely different story. But we're talking about deep sky uh, imaging in this particular talk. So those tiny pixels paired on the back of a big scope don't make much sense. So you're just going to get really weird looking images when you start to blow that image up and really look at what you want to see. Might look good on Instagram or something like that when it's, you know, a real small presentation. But if you really want to show people a high res photo or you want to print it, you're not going to be able to blow it up that big um, and keep it to where it looks good. So um, that's something you have to pay attention to. Um, it's these small modern cameras are just not ideal for longer focal lengths. Now there are ways around that through like binning. Um, and I have seen a couple modern day sensors that have larger pixels, which match up a little bit better. Um, but a lot of these really new sensors uh, coming from like Sony, really tiny pixels, um, which makes sense for a lot of different telescopes. But, you know, if you're trying to put that on like the back of a Schmidt Cassegrain or one of those equivalents out there, or like a Rich Cretion or something, you are going to have to pay attention um, and maybe use binning and stuff like that to get around to match it up a little bit better. So... I guess the big question there is how do we match our camera to the telescope? You know, what exactly are we even looking for at this point? Um, now, of course, like anything, there's a formula to figure out this. And this is a rough formula that will hopefully get you in the ballpark. Um, and this is just to kind of get things, you know, off the, off the ground for everybody. So, um, so just for calculating purposes, um, good seeing is we're just going to say on average, we're going to work with, you know, 1.5 to 2 arc seconds uh, per pixel. That's basically the resolution that we're, we're going to work with in our um, experiment that we're doing right here. Now, that's about average i have a lot of customers that call in and when we see some of their images that's a, around when we look at their resolution that's about what a lot of people's image scale is is 1.5 to 2 arc seconds per pixel that means every pixel that's on the camera 
is able to resolve either 1.5 to 2 arc seconds um, in there. So uh, we need to be able to uh, get that the highest resolution. I can't talk this morning. We need to be able to get the highest resolution out of our camera possible. Um, I know Ernie in the chat there is saying his club has a C14. They're looking for a new camera. That's a really good example of like what we're talking about today is, okay, you have a C14 or a big Cassegrain long focal length, like 2,000, 3,000 plus millimeter telescope. Even with a reducer on it, you're still several thousand millimeters in focal length. It's really difficult nowadays to find a modern camera that will support a scope like that effectively and produce a night. You can put stuff on the back of a big scope like that, but you might find that smaller telescopes are going to appear a lot sharper, um, which, you know, people are going to be like, well, you have this big telescope and it should be bigger and sharper, right? It's like not the case. Um, so here's the formula on how you figure this whole thing out. So... This is pixel size divided by the focal length of the telescope times 206.3 equals our resolution in arc seconds per pixel. So, um, and the pixel size is measured in microns, which is what you see there. And the focal length of the scope is measured in millimeters. So for sake of argument in this experiment, let's just start with a, a really popular camera, the ZWO2600. This is an IMX571 Sony sensor. Um, there is an equivalent version in a couple different brands out there. It's just the one that, you know, I have a lot of people call in about. Um, this sensor uses 3.76 micron pixels. Pretty small, It's a, but it packs a punch. Um, and it works really well for a, you know, certain class of telescopes. So we're going to plug this in. So... First off, we have to put in the micron size of the camera pixel, which is 3.76 microns. So we're going to put that up there in our formula. And then, again, for sake of argument, just using easy stuff, uh, I'm going to put in our Esprit 150 refractor. It says 1,050 millimeter focal length. 1,000 millimeter focal length is very effective for a lot of different things, especially when you're talking about, you know, crop sensors like the IMX571 or like a APS-C sensor you find in a lot of, um, uh, what am I saying? A lot of cameras like Nikon, Canon, Sony, you know, Fujis. A lot of the mirrorless and DSLR cameras use a crop sensor. Um, it's a good way to get a big sensor for not a ton of money. Um, it's kind of becoming much more, uh, kind of becoming the baseline at this point for a lot of people, uh, because they are getting so much more affordable to have such a big sensor. So we're going to go ahead and do the crop sensor, but at a thousand millimeters, you're able to resolve galaxies really well. You can still do some of the wider objects. And if you put a full frame sensor on there, you can get a chunk of sky, um, and be able to do a lot of things. So a thousand millimeters is a big sweet spot uh, for a lot of astrophotographers um, to be able to resolve those smaller galaxies um, and get some really nice sharp images. Um, so, so we have our telescope now and our camera. Our camera pixels are 3.76 microns. We'll put our focal length in there. That's 1,050. Um, and then that's going to be times 206.3, uh, which gives us a answer of 0.73 arc seconds per pixel. Um, and arc seconds is normally, you know, just has the little inch mark or hash mark at the end of it instead of writing arc seconds per pixel. That's normally how it's written out. So good seeing on an average backyard, we'll say is 1.5 to 2 arc seconds per pixel. Um, now... With our calculator there, we're at 0.7 arc seconds per pixel, which is a little bit of a stretch running at full resolution on some of these cameras. So like the the IMX571 sensor, the, the IMX455, so that's the uh, ZWO2600 for the uh, 571 sensor, and the 6200 uses the big full frame 455 sensor. Both of those are 3.7 micron pixels. Uh, even the 533 ZWO, the little square chip, same pixel size. 
Um, if we had that on the back of a thousand millimeter focal length scope, it would give us about 0.7 arc seconds per pixel, which you'll probably need a pretty good stable night to maximize the resolution of that system. Odds are from a backyard, it's going to appear, uh, it's not going to appear very well on that. So, um, so this is where things start to come into play. So if pixels are too large, it's known as undersampling. Undersampling is going to give you blocky looking stars, very pixelated stars. Now, in this case, from our experiment there, our telescope calculated to be 0.7 arc seconds per pixel at one by one bin. Um, this would be considered oversampling. The pixels are too small. So that's going to give us soft, bloated stars, which I do see a lot, especially when a lot of these uh, people out there are using these little rich accretions that are on the market. You know, these, you know, truss uh, Cassegrains you can get. Um, and they're pairing them with these, with these modern cameras that have these small pixels. A lot of the images, they look nice. And there's a lot of people out there taking very nice images of them. And they look fine when you're at, you're just looking at the whole thing. But if you start to zoom in, it gets soft very quickly. So if you're looking to hunt detail or maybe even do scientific work where you're really relying on the maximum resolution of the telescope, if you're oversampling with tiny pixels on the back of a long focal length instrument, a lot of stuff is going to appear soft and bloated very quickly because you're oversampling on the image. Now, undersampling, we don't see that all that, we don't see that too much nowadays um, because of the pixel sizes are getting so small. Um, you know, five years ago, there were six micron, nine micron. They're still out there, but you don't see them as much anymore. But a lot of those paired on the back of really short focal length telescopes, you know, it looks super sharp, um, but all of them are undersampled. So if you blew that up really big, all the stars would look blocky and pixelated uh, very quickly. But, you know, if you wanted a big sensor, a big chunk of real estate, and you want to take a picture of the North American nebula and you're putting it on the back of like a 500 millimeter focal length refractor, the image is going to look awesome at full prints, you know, as a full image. But if you ever wanted to blow that up to something real big, it would start to distort and look pixely very quickly. So, because uh, the pixels are too big, it's undersampled at that point. Now, a good way around that um, to help match your system a little bit better without having to go buy some big sensor camera or I'm sorry, big a camera with big pixels, which is becoming more difficult nowadays to obtain is binning. Um, binning the camera will effectively allow the camera to make itself have larger pixels. Now it does reduce the resolution of your camera. So like we'll just say on a ZWO 6200, just cause I have experience with that um, at one by one bin, I'm at 0.7 arc seconds per pixel on our Esprit 150. And the scene can support that for where the telescope is situated. But on some nights, it won't. Uh, more often than not, it won't support that uh, resolution. So we have to bin. That brings our pixel size to about 1.4 arc seconds per pixel, which is very forgiving at the site that the telescope is at and generally produces very, very sharp, high-resolution images. But instead, at the full resolution of 60 megapixels, um, we are now binning, brings it down to 16 megapixels. Um, so I can't blow it up as big, but the images look pretty sharp, at least at you know full resolution. You can zoom in quite a bit. Um, that works really well. Um, here is a, uh, where is it? Let me pull this up over here. Um, this is an image of M33 that was taken from our observatory. Uh, this is the Esprit 150 with the uh, ZWO 6200 that we have. This was on a night of good seeing. And this is at the full resolution of the sensor. Uh, one by one bin. Um, and you can see, you can just zoom in for days um, on this on this image. Hold on, just, there we go. Sorry. Photoshop is disobeying me. There we go. 
you can see you can blow this image up for days and you have really high resolution you know it still starts to pixelate i mean that's gonna happen no matter what you do but you can still see really fine detail in a lot of the regions here because it's well matched it's very sharp and it works well with the scene conditions um now on another night, um, on average, uh, we also binned some of this. This is a finalized uh, M31 shot in color. Uh, generally, we were binning on here, but you can see uh, this is very sharp. We can zoom in quite a bit, you know, even at 200%, and there's still well-defined detail inside of there. Um, that can be, there's all kinds of knots, and you can actually see detail and structure, and nothing's really quite to the level where it's pixelated and blocky stars still appear round uh, resolution is still good that's because on this particular night we were not able to use the full resolution of the camera so we bend it to match the seeing better and it gave us this nice sharp high definition uh, system um, to work with so that's where we were able to do the math before investing in any of the camera gear to really match well with the local scene conditions um so that's that's the benefit there is you can you can get these really nice high contrast high resolution images and you can actually blow them up in, and they still look good you can make a big old you know two foot by three foot print and it's still super sharp so that's what we want to do so here's an example here real quick uh we just did this on our telescope uh, this week just for this example um, this is a one by one bin image from our telescope this is the Esprit 150 with a ZWO 6200 on it um, pixel size is exactly the same on the 6200 the 20 the 2600 and the 533 ZWO, ZWO cameras these are 3.7 micron pixels and whatever camera is in this same region pixel size will produce the same thing. So our seeing conditions on this night were pretty good. These are also blown up a lot um, to just show. So this is the trapezium and M42. You can see all these tiny little stars inside of there. The stars still appear to be fairly round and detail is still well defined. Um, and you can see a lot of that. So it worked really well. Um, as we go over, and this is the ideal match for when the seeing is supported. So if we jump over to a two by two bin, I'll blink this back and forth. Um, you'll notice the stars get a little softer. Um, two by two bin is still pretty forgiving at this site. Um, you'll notice the resolution does take a dive a little bit, but not a whole heck of a lot because it's still working. Um, there is a, a window that you can work within. We're going to talk about in a minute um, with your telescope that you can work you don't have to be exact there's there's a, a forgiving window that you can work within um but when pixel when the pixels start to get bigger um now we're at 3.3 microns we're starting to undersample a lot of that real fine detail is kind of getting blurred out and the stars are starting to look a little bit more pixelated um the pixels are just getting too big um when we really start to look into the image there now we're starting to undersample our image and if you looked at this full resolution, um, it would be fine. Um, but if you really wanted to make a print out of this, it's not going to be ideal. And then if we jump up to 4x4, four four, you can really see that the pixels and everything start to go downhill um, at this point. It's just it's not ideal for this particular setup. However larger instruments um like our friends at plane wave they have a 24 inch down in chile they have this same camera on here which doesn't make a lot of sense for most sites but the site that this telescope sits at their 24 inch down in chile is very good seeing conditions so they're on average not using it at the full 60 megapixels they're having to bin it um, to match up with the seeing but because the seeing is so good they can start to take advantage of the smaller pixels um, because the, the local conditions are so good. Um, I know there's some questions in there. I'm going to get through this and then we'll dive into that a little bit more. So like I said earlier, the pixels don't have to be exact. Resolution has about a one arc second window to work within. So if your system uh, produces a 1.5 arc second uh, per pixel resolution, 
you could go as low as one and still be pretty good or as high as two um, and still have nice images to where you probably wouldn't have to bin at that point. Um, sharp images can still be produced. Now, if you go bigger than that, um, you're probably going to be undersampling um, at that point. And if you get too small, you're going to be oversampling at that point. So here's a combo breakdown real quick. Uh, this is just taking some of the popular sensors and cameras that are on the market and kind of matching them up to focal lengths that they would be well acquainted with. So um, we'll start at 400 millimeters. Our Esprit 100, um, our Esprit 80 is 400 millimeters in focal length. The Rasa 8, which is really popular from Celestron, I believe is also 400 millimeters. And then there's a lot of other smaller refractors and reflectors out there that are 400 millimeters. Um, these need small pixels to give you those sharp images. So we'll take the, the 183 cameras that are out the, um, that are out on the market right now, either from ZWO or Attic or QHY, uh, Starlight Express and Attic also have a CCD version. The 834 sensor has a small, like three micron pixels. So if we took the really popular 183 sensor, and did the math that would give at 400 millimeters that gives us 1.2 arc seconds per pixel which works very well in most locations uh, so if you have like a rasa or a small short refractor that would be something with this 183 sensor or an 834 sensor would work really nicely to give you real high resolution where you can take full advantage of that sensors you know multiple megapixels and blow that thing up and print something out of it at 600 mega, I'm sorry, 600 millimeters, we need a little bit larger pixel. Um, so 3.7 micron pixels, the very popular 533, the 571, and the 455. Um, that's the ZWO 533, 2600, and 6200 matches up really well um, in a pretty wide region. You can even go up to about, a, like I said, 1,000 millimeters. You could actually technically go up to in these sensors um a thousand millimeters you're starting to get to where you'd have to bin it but at 600 to 800 millimeters um you could actually get away with having those cameras at one by one uh binning without having to you know bin it and go bigger and take maximum the maximum performance out of that those camera sensors so those would be really good combinations if you're looking at a zwo 2600 which is super popular or the qhy equivalent um those will be great for anything that's about 600 to 800 millimeters they would pair very nicely with that um of course you could go to 800 millimeters if you wanted to go something a little bit bigger you then get the imx 410 uh, sensor that's the qh i don't know qhy is equivalent to it but on zwo's lineup it's the 2400 sensor or camera that's there. And then the uh, very popular 16200 uh, sensor, uh, it's a CCD, so you don't see them too often at this point, but that's the Starlight SX46. Um, SBIG has a version of that camera. Uh, I believe FLI still, they're getting to the big, big cameras at this point, uh, but that's a nearly full frame sensor. Um, but those are six micron pixels natively, um, and you're just not having a lot of uh, options anymore with cameras that are having this big of a pixel now at a thousand millimeters um you can still get away with a six micron pixel sensor or you're gonna have to start binning um on the the smaller sensors so if you've got your you know any camera with that 3.7 micron pixel uh, you can bin that two by two and it would match really well at that thousand millimeter uh, focal length now, things start to get tricky as things get longer. Um, 1,200 millimeters, you can still do the popular 533, 571, and 455 sensors, but ideally, you're probably going to have to use that bin 2x2 two two almost every night. Um, that's just how it's going to work. It's still high resolution, but it's not the maximum resolution that the camera can do. Now, after 1,200, things get tricky. Um you start getting to 1500 millimeters. This is where those longer focal length scopes stop making sense with modern day cameras. 
um, at 1500 millimeters, if you want to get that one arc second, 1.2 resolution, you're looking at the older sensors like a KAF 11002, um, the Monster 16803 CCD, or the modern G-Sense 4040 sensor, which is incredibly expensive. Um, or you're going to be doing, you know, multiple binning on these smaller cameras like 3x3 and even 4x4 where you're really starting to take that sensor down in its resolution capability. So yeah, you bought a 60 megapixel camera, but now you're binning 3x3 or 4x4, it's it's not going to be big high resolution anymore. It's, you know, you're down to a few megapixels at that point. So you still do some stuff, but nowhere near what it could have done. Um, and then of course we get down to this 2000 millimeter, um, stuff at 2000 plus these, this is where those old sensors like the 16803 and the 11002 sensors made sense. They were nine micron cameras. This is what a lot of the, uh, um, I don't want to say the older crowd, but, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you were seeing, you know, a lot of people using these RCOS Richie Cretions on these big mounts with like the SBIG STL 11000 or the SBIG 16803 cameras, you know, these just monster sensor cameras. Um, they were using those because they had these monster 9 micron pixels, um, which made a lot of sense then because most cameras that were using these full frame sensors nine microns or even down to about six microns were about as small as the pixels would go. But now Sony and these other manufacturers have come out with these full frame sensors and packed a ton of megapixels into them. Um, it doesn't make sense anymore um, to have these on your system. And that's getting tricky. So if you are looking at something like, you know, these 12 inch, you know, Cassegrain style telescopes with, you know, 2,000, millimeter focal lengths or longer, it's really hard to find an affordable camera um, to put on the back of them to where it makes sense in most local seeing conditions. Um, there are sensors out there like the FLI uh, 4040, monsterly expensive cameras. Um, there's just not a lot of demand anymore to have large pixels anymore because a lot of these camera sensors are coming from Sony who's using them in their mirrorless cameras and it doesn't make sense for them. They have no need to have monster pixels on their sensors. They want small stuff, so it makes more sense. And the astronomy market's basically just getting the hand-me-downs from the larger photographic market. So having a dedicated sensor for astronomy is not beneficial for a larger company to produce and it gets very expensive because there's not a lot of demand for it. That's why monochrome cameras are generally more expensive. There's not a big market for monochrome sensors. The larger market in the photography market, they want color sensors. But for us the, that want color and a little bit of monochrome, Monochromes are always going to be more expensive because they don't sell that many. Um, so modern camera sensors generally have smaller pixels, ideal for these short focal length, fast optics. So like the Rasas and these small refractors, they're all taking advantage of these high resolution sensors. Uh, longer focal length scopes are going to require cameras with bigger pixels. And it's going to be harder and harder to find a camera that supports that. Um, the need for longer focal length, unless you're doing something very specific, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense for it anymore. If you're doing one arc second at a 20 inch aperture and you're doing one arc second at an equivalent, um, you know, smaller aperture, the resolution is going to be, uh, print wise, the resolution will be the same. So uh, it's kind of a complicated subject. There's a lot of, uh, numbers floating around, but, um, that's pretty much it for today's talk. Uh, if you have any questions or if there's a combo that you're looking for, um, we can do the math right now. I'd be happy to bring up the calculator and we can uh, go in if there's a setup that you've been looking for. Um, but that's matching your camera. So hopefully that made sense. Um, again, it, it's kind of a watered down approach to it just because there's a lot that can be discussed there. Um, next week we have Dr. Edwin Krupp. He's the director of Griffith Observatory. He's going to be hanging out with us the next Friday. So hopefully you can join us then. That'll be a really cool episode. Um, it'll be very neat to talk to him. Griffith is one of the most, you know, 
known public outreach observatories globally. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so there's that um, that we'll be doing next week. I know there's a couple questions here. Uh, real quick, um, if you're just looking for something cool, we do have our Threadless shop, um, all kinds of shirts. We've got a bunch of cool stuff in the works. You can go on there and pick up uh, Skywatcher swag if that's what you're looking for. But that is uh, skywatcher.threadless.com. Uh, whoops, wrong screen. There it is, skywatcher.threadless.com. Um, all kinds of shirts and swag and stuff like that if you want to go over there and check that out. So uh, anyway, let's get to questions. Um, let's see. Uh, still can't understand why pixels can be too small. Um, can you show an example of what a soft and bloating means? Um, I didn't have anything on hand, uh, unfortunately, um, at this point to show something like that. Well, maybe I do. Um, let me try to dig. Ooh, this is going to be old image. Um, bear with me real quick and see if I have something in here. Um, basically, the light is just getting spread out too much, um, and it... It either doesn't spread out enough over multiple pixels or it gets spread out too much um, over too many pixels. So that's the the hard part. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't think I have the... Maybe it's in here. Um, let me see if I can pull one of these up. Let me get rid of this. So let me... Bear with me real quick. I'm going to try to talk so this isn't boring at the same time. Um, so these are under, I always get these mixed up, undersampled images. So this is a 200 millimeter um, image, uh, 200 millimeter focal length uh, lens attached to a Starlight Express uh, SX46. It's a 16200 sensor, six micron pixels um, is what it's at. And with the calculator, this is astronomy.tools. Great, great thing to work with. So this is a 200 millimeter telescope. And the camera on this is a 16200 sensor. Um, they have all these different sent cameras you can plug in. You can do all kinds of fun stuff with it. Um, do they have a 16200? Here is one, just for the sake of it. doesn't matter what camera brand. It's all the same sensor. Um, oh, I have to pick something. Yeah, wild duck, why not? So... On this combo, I was shooting at 6.2 arc seconds per pixel, which if you can see right here, that looks great at full resolution. It looks awesome. Um, but when we start to blow this up, you can see the stars get real pixely and square-like and stuff like that. Um, so it's... It all depends on what you want to do. Most of the time, images are going to be, you know, full resolution um, where you're like this. But it depends. It all comes down to how, how sharp you want it to look at. So um, this is an, uh, an oversampled image right here. So it, it looks good at full res. And that's really all that matters. But if we were to compare it to something that was better matched, like a modern day, you know, 3.7 micron, um, some of the details would probably look a lot sharper and cleaner um, and not so pixely. So that's an example of, um, of one there. I don't know if I have a soft one. I don't have a lot of, uh, high focal length stuff at this point. So I'm sorry. I was flipping them around. Um, so oversampled, undersampled, I, it happens all the time. So I apologize on that. Um, any further camera considerations for live viewing on a laptop screen? Um, most of the modern day cameras are really good. Um, something that's got high QE, uh, no amp glow is what I would recommend. Something like a, you know, a camera with a 533 sensor. It's a one inch sensor. They're under a thousand dollars. They have no amp glow and they're very clean. Um, you can live stack with pretty much anything nowadays, but I like the cameras that have high QE. So the exposures can be short and you're getting out a lot of detail or really quickly. Um, but it really kind of comes down to the budget and how big the sensor you want it to be. So a lot of the modern day cameras like a 533, a 2600 or the 6200 monstrosity camera is very good. But look for the QE, you know, like 70, 70 QE or better 
Um, I like those cameras and then something that doesn't have amp glow. You can always add darks, but if there's no amp glow to deal with on a CMOS sensor, that's better. Uh, let's see. All this advice is for deep sky only. Does that? No. Uh, this talk was mainly about matching your pixels for deep sky purposes. Uh, planetary and lunar is a completely different set of rules. Um, and you can use a bunch of pixels. It's, 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 you cannot apply this talk to planetary. It's a whole new game at that point. Uh, so us next one. So us SCT owners are out of luck with modern cameras. Uh, yes and no. Uh, you can either get a, it depends on the focal length. You can either get a modern camera and bin it. Um, you can use a focal reducer. Um, focal reducers can help speed up the system and help better match, um, something. So, you know, let's, uh, we might go a little long today, but we'll go here. So let's just talk about this real quick. So we let's say we have a C8, very popular telescope. C8s are 2,000 millimeters. Let's pair it with just a modern-day camera. Uh, we'll just do the 6200 because it has 3.7 micron pixels. Um, so at full resolution, 2,000 millimeters, you'd be about 0.4 arc seconds per pixel. That's a bit much for most any site there that is sub arc second it's gonna look soft um probably a lot now if we were to bin it two by two bin we're at 0.78 arc seconds it'll look a little bit better um ideally though you'd probably go almost as high as you'd have to go three by three on a camera that's got 3.7 micron pixels to match up to a 2000 millimeter focal length scope effectively to give you those sharp images. Now, let me do the math here real quick. Um, let's say we popped in the F7 reducer. Um, that brings the telescope now from 2000 millimeters to 1400 millimeters. Now at two by two bin, we're at 1.1 arc second per pixel. That matches really pretty well. Uh, it would probably work pretty well in your backyard using something like 1400 millimeters with a modern day sensor, but that's thanks to the focal reducer um, being put into play. So focal reducers um, can be very helpful to taking longer focal length scopes and matching them better with high resolution sensors of the modern day. Now, obviously you can only make a focal reducer so fast. So that's something you want to keep an eye out for. Um, let's see. I do mostly planetary imaging. I've read that smaller resolution recommendations are okay. Yes. With planetary lunar and solar high resolution, small pixels, that's different. Um, you actually want a bunch of little pixels when you're doing planetary work, but the rules for planetary and lunar and solar are different from deep sky. So, um, maybe one day we'll do a talk off to get someone on here who really knows that. Um, and maybe we can do this equivalent talk to planetary uh what about using a focal reducer to match the camera to the scope yep like we just talked about a focal reducer can be a very good way to match uh, a longer focal length up to a modern camera it also gives you a wider field of view and speeds up the optics so the exposure can either be shorter or you can go get more out of that so um focal reducers are definitely something in the tool bag that you should consider um, on that. Sometimes it can also work in your advantage depending on the season. It gets you like two different uh, systems to work with. So having a focal reducer is not a bad thing. Even if the camera matches well natively, sometimes having a focal reducer is nice to have, you know, like in the, in the springtime you've got galaxies. So the resolution works really well. And then in the fall or the summer when we've got really wide targets you can put the focal reducer in there and get a wider field so there's multiple reasons to use a focal reducer how does the telescope's aperture affect image scale resolution at the same focal length for example ed80 versus rasa 8 um that's a good question uh theoretically i just had this um question this week actually from a friend of mine so if you have like an Esprit 80, for example, it's 400 millimeters, and then you have a Rasa 8, which is 400 millimeters. I think that's right. They're 400. Um, they're both the same focal length. Um, but the Rasa 8 is going to be able to capture things a lot faster. Let me pull up my... Let me pull this up real quick. Everybody likes this. The infamous calculator is back. 
Um, here it comes. Ta-da! Kevin's calculator. Um, so the big advantage of, say, like a Rasa 8 is it's fast. It's F2. Um, the equivalent refractor like our, Ross, or our Esprit 80 is F5. So your image scale is going to be the same. If the cam same camera is used on both things, image scale and resolution will be the same. The big advantage to the Rasa is its speed. So let's take F5 um, and go to F2. A Rasa is going to be 6.2 times faster than an F5 equivalent of the same focal length. So having that extra speed is very helpful. Um, I do think that the refractors handle things a little bit better. You don't have to worry about tilt as much. Collimation as, isn't as big of a deal. When you're doing really fast optics, and this is regardless of who makes it or what, when you're doing really fast, we'll say sub F4 optics, you're getting into F3 and F2, um, it is crucial that things are collimated correctly. Um, so it's because you can get tilt, and if it's if it's not done right or if it's out of collimation, your stars are going to look weird. Um, so a refractor is probably going to be more forgiving um, at that point. So if you have two telescopes with the same focal length, one's faster than the other, really it just comes down to speed and how much you can get done in that amount of time. So hopefully that answers the question. Now, if they're different focal lengths, yeah, then it's slightly the field of views are going to vary. So it depends on which telescope you're trying to compare to um, at that point. So uh, let's see. Next one. I have used my Hyperstar, which brings my focal length down to 560. Um, that does the trick with my Rebel SL1. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you can pair those uh, focal lengths really well um, and get the speed out of it, which is awesome. Uh, what about variable star photometry? Does it matter if I oversample? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I have some friends that do that. I don't know, though. My guess is you probably want to sample it as best as possible um, for variable star, um, but I don't know. That's a good question about the photometry stuff. I just don't do photometry, um, so I don't have a good answer for that at the moment. Let's see, last one here, unless anybody's got something else floating around. Um, how does one-shot color uh, true pixel size with the bare matrix compared to monochrome pixel? Well, that's a good one. Um, I mean, the pixels are what they are. Um, it doesn't matter if it's color. It doesn't matter if it's monochrome. Um, if a pixel is a certain size, that's the size it is. Uh now, you do lose some resolution on a one-shot color camera because not all the pixels are, are working at the same time. We have a talk about this, and uh, we did an episode on this monochrome versus color. So you can go in there and watch that if you want. But yeah, if we're just talking straight pixels, it doesn't matter what it, if it's color or monochrome. You know, let's say it's a 3.8 micron pixel. It's a 3.8 micron pixel. Um but if it's a one-shot color camera and the pixels are that way, all the pixels are working, but not every pixel is working as effectively as like a monochrome sensor, which is getting the same amount of light on every pixel. Uh, where a monochrome sensor, you're going to lose out because the blue might not be getting as much signal as like a green or a red or whatever. So it's resolution-wise, it's the same, um, but... Uh, it gets complicated there, but hopefully you can figure out what I'm trying to say there. Um, if you got, if you go to astronomy tools, CCD calculator gives us a graphic and write up. Yeah. So the, this website I use all the time when I'm on the phone with like a customer or something like that, who's trying to figure this out. Um, I pull this thing up religiously all the time and allows me to figure out all kinds of combinations of what someone's looking to do. Um, even while some of you have actually talked, um, on here about this i'll pull this up and actually you know figure it out um and it's a good thing to do off the fly um even when we're setting up something at our observatory site this is what we use to calculate all that just makes it really clean and easy um sometimes it gives you the field of view graphic which is nice but ultimately we're just looking for that resolution so anyway uh unless there's more questions out there i think we're pretty much good to go um 
really appreciate you guys hanging out with us today. Uh, we will talk to you next Friday. We'll have uh, Dr. Krupp from Griffith will be with us 10 a.m. Pacific next Friday, and I will get my camera working next time too. Thank you very much, everyone. Please have a good, safe weekend. Get out and do some photography, and we will talk to you guys uh, next week. Take care. Have a safe weekend. Bye.